Hello, this is Sarah Hauk. For me, creativity has always seemed something sort of elusive, sort of ungraspable. For somebody who's very logical, reasonable, analytic. So when I was challenged with a project within the realm of creativity in the workplace, it opened my eyes to what creativity entails. Original, novel, valuable ideas don't just come out of thin air. They often take a lot of people together, working in a unified way. You will hear a lot of people discuss exactly how many layers to the onion that there can be when it comes to creativity. Anybody can be creative, and we can all get a lot from it. When we all come together to solve a problem, keep an open mind as we explore creativity within the workplace. We're going to talk to Courtney, a certified child life specialist who uses creative techniques to acclimate children who are about to go through some very unusual clinical experiences. Here's Courtney. I currently work at Children's um, in Philadelphia. And my work is predominantly doing that of psychosocial nature with children. So helping to prepare them psychologically for procedures, for medical events, helping them process things that have happened to them medically, induced with and encouraged by the use of play. Also working with uh, bereavement grief aspects mm. of being in the hospital, and that's on all aspects. So loss um, in terms of physical life and also loss in terms of activity, mobility, loss of hair. It's a really great job. I've been doing it for almost 16 years now. I would imagine that takes a level of creativity that most other people don't get to incorporate within their workplace, especially with children. So part of my job is working with students that want to become child life specialists. Okay. And so we um, fostered a community opportunity here in Brewery Town. So they went to a community center that does a lot of child development work and okay. we provided a quote-unquote doctor for a day experience for the kids and so we brought medical equipment, real, and play, okay. and helped foster discussions so that the kids could see what play material looked like in the hospital, in medical settings, and then also what it looks like in real time. But when we do medical play, it is patient-led or child-led. Okay. Say a child is interacting with an object and they ask what it is. We question back oftentimes, hmm, what do you think that is? or tell me what you would like to do with that object. So it opens up a floodgate of our own creativity, but also that for the patient or the child. What often happens when we ask questions is we find misconceptions about their healthcare experience. Say they have an IV and they say, well, it feels like a straw, I think it's a straw, and we start drinking with it, and they start acting like they're gonna drink with it with their mouth. And sometimes we just kind of scaffold that and say, you're right, it is a straw, but mm -hmm. it, usually it goes in the little blue lines in our body. Do you know what those little blue lines do? And we talk about how that moves things throughout our body. But then we also can do things that are more cathartic in nature. So like throwing things or a squirting nature, like we do syringe, <laughs> it doesn't always have to be used okay. to, draw blood. It can also be used to squirt paint on a piece of paper. For Courtney, it's a very different experience to work with a team. It can be a much bigger challenge to work alone when the development of new ideas isn't as quick or fluid. 
Really the team dynamic is what changes, I think, no matter where I've been. Before I came here, I worked in a peri-op setting, so I had nurses, anesthesiologists, uh, child life specialists. I had a really big team that I could develop creativity with and also like foster their experience back to me. When I was working solo, then it was more on me to develop like ideas and concepts and things and kind of test them and trial them and see if it fed any intrigue or any um, need or want that the population might have called for. If not, then I just kind of had to pull back and redraw. I am constantly intrigued and constantly fueled from learning from students. Working with students is so amazing. I feel like it has kept me yearning for education, Courtney has found that working with students has challenged her to see the practices she encounters in her day-to-day -day work life in a new light, bringing fresh ideas and improving upon existing methods. We have a student right now that is in her late 30s. Okay. It's the second career for her. So we're also tapping in from her own personal experiences of careers that she's done prior to coming to child life. I see. We develop and um, innovate new strategies and things like that to work with the family and the patient that maybe even those that are practicing specialists might not know and it's totally fueled from the student perspective. Evidence-based practice has really opened up the door for oh. creativity. Okay. Because I see that it fuels creativity in people who do not feel like they are crea creative. If you don't feel like you have that in yourself, evidence-based practice is the best place to start okay. because it's looking at literature that other people have provided, digging right. into questions that you have about your current practice, implementing a change possibly in the current practice, giving it a trial. That all are all catalysts for creativity, for innovation, and it happens within your workplace and typically within a team setting too. So yeah, yeah. oftentimes if you're feeling disconnected to a team, that's also very helpful too. To overcome all kinds of personal and workplace obstacles and challenges. I would definitely encourage and invite people to continue to work with children mm. um, in any capacity you can. It does always spark the creative sides that you have shut down of yourself. Right. Uh, I think that it opens an awareness about your own personal space and how you fill this world. So I really encourage those that have the opportunity and can to work with children as often as much as they can. Excellent. Yes, I think we all need to tap into that mentality a little bit more and how much good it does right. in the long run. I do appreciate what you're doing for all of those children out there. A key component to expanding creativity is being able to incorporate self-reflection. This allows you to cope, learn from, and process challenges. Longevity within your career may depend on it. We found that there was lots of research on compassion fatigue, tons of research on burnout, specifically in the field of child life, no research on clinical longevity. There needs to be a supportive staff. There needs to be a supportive management that also encourages autonomy. There needs to be support in general overall health, and that includes mental health components. Mm. Um, specifically in our discipline, we do something that's called clinical supervision. Okay. It's very popular within the mental health field as well, but it's a way to come together and talk about difficult clinical cases in a safe space. I see. And to get either feedback, if that's what you're seeking, or to be able to just kind of do a debriefing through it, physically process it. Right. Um, right. The other components are usually that of like compensation. Okay. Right. Um, so that includes like health insurance, 401ks, 403bs, salary. All those components have been historically across all the other professions to be what is a clinical driver. 
In the field of child life, we have a weird anomaly. So we have people that are in the field from one to five years or 15 plus. So what our current research is doing is we're taking like a lot of measurement tools that have already been verified and placing them in this research project that we're currently doing for child life specialists that are still currently active and also those that have chose to leave the field. Okay. The reason that we need the, the data for those that left the field most notably is because we need to know why they left. Right. We don't have that data. What we're seeing across the board is that this is a, um, there's a quote that talks about like, if you walk across water and don't expect to get wet, uh, it's the same, yeah. con you know what I'm saying? It's the I same do. concept is that you can't say that you're going to do this work and not be affected. Right. We're most concerned of the emotional and physical toll that this work does on professionals. And is that the impact of why people are leaving? If so, what can we do as a discipline to create a safeguard or a stop or yeah. a firewall to make it so that we're not having people leave the field just because of that? Right. On the flip side, because I'm with student population educator, I need to know because I need to know how to set people up for success before they join this field. Okay. Um, yes. I'm a huge proponent on self-care beyond the bubble baths and <laughs> reading a good magazine of like really diving into mental health right. part of it. And like when patients are having a really bad day and a student is with them, I really encourage the student to like get off the floor mm. and process that emotion. Okay. Um, and be realistic that everybody emotes in a very different way. And so you might not be a crier, but you might be a person that just needs some space. You also may be a person that needs to journal about yeah. it. However, it needs to happen because what the research is currently showing is that there is a tremendous amount of anniversary trauma that's happening to our professionals. Oh. So say you're working with an ICU patient, there's a certain anesthesia that's being used. It has a very certain smell. Okay. This patient passes away. Very traumatic death. Yeah. You were there for it. You helped do the memory making. So you're making molds. You're still smelling the smell. Cut to two weeks later, you're in a typical anesthetic environment. The same smell happens. And you have total recall of this experience. You cannot escape it. You still haven't processed it. Yeah. So there's two experiences third, fourth. I At see. one of those experiences, you're going to have almost what's like a PTSD response and it's going to be catastrophic. And we're yeah. seeing this in a lot of our young professionals that don't have the setup to process almost like in real time okay. or to be self-reflective in real time enough right. to say, I need to stop. I need to get off the floor. Part of what we do is serving others. And that is where our safeguard drops. We have to be vulnerable enough to let patients and families in, but we also have to be vulnerable enough to say, I need to stop now. Right. And I need to get off the floor. That is, that is self-care. It's self-care. And sometimes self-care is selfish. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. so people have, especially in healthcare, the martyr syndrome is very real in healthcare. Right. And not to um, generalize or overgeneralize, but the data does show that females are more compassionate in this setting and will be more of a martyr where our male counterparts or those that identify as male will say I'm done okay I'm walking away they are exhibiting better in what our data is currently showing and that's a study by Brinson okay um, that is showing that data currently and that was I believe published in 2012 okay. 
But that is an indicator for us that we need to talk about what that looks like. And that I know a lot of people say self-care Sunday and like they post the pictures of sitting in a bubble bath or getting their nails done, which is a great start. Yeah. You're at least thinking about yourself and True. being self-reflective of, I have had a hard week, this makes me happy. But then there's like the other turn of it of, why did I have a hard week? Yes. What was it that was the stress points? Have I processed this even a little bit? And a lot of times why clinical supervision is successful is because the people that love you outside of the experience that you are having with a healthcare provider or a patient is very insular. Right. And while your loved one or your caregiver or your, um, or your friends and family want to support you, it is very difficult for them to know what really is happening in your day-to-day -day life. Definitely. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So that's a long-winded uh, version of, of clinical longevity, but that's just like the points of where we're starting. And I think because our field is so young, like these are still things I think that we will continually have to evaluate and research. Definitely. No, but you brought out some seriously important points that do translate over into a lot of different workplaces, into right. a lot of different industries and career areas, teachers, first responders. Mm -hmm. I mean, you do have that and it is very interesting to see where the research is taking it as well as hitting the reality of what self-care fully entails. Right. It is mental health. It right. doesn't need to be this taboo topic mm -hmm. um, and it is comprehensive and mm -hmm. that's important. So I do appreciate you telling us a little bit more about uh, longevity and uh, Thank you again for coming and speaking with us here at my podcast that doesn't have a name yet. <laughs> <laughs> Thank You're you welcome. so much.